This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And what's very interesting, again, is the connections between the events today and events in this week's parasha. And obviously, there's good things and bad things. Let's go through them very quickly. Number one is Abraham Avinu, a symbol of kindness. He just had his Brit Milah. We know he has guests. He sees three Arabs in the desert, or three strangers, and he invites them. He runs and he invites them over to have some food. And that's amazing. At the age of 99, he was sick, and he runs to the guests. He doesn't know the angels to invite them in. So that's the tremendously powerful message of Abraham Avinu. His relationship would all be like that of hospitality and kindness. They give Abraham and Sarah good news. I mean, we all get good news, but rather shame. This old man of 99 and this young woman of 90 are going to have a kid. They're going to have another kid. They're going to have a kid together. They're going to call his name Yitzhak, which means laughter, but rather shame. That's what we need in our lives. This is, this is a good sign in this week's parasha. Yitzhak, laughter is born in this week's parasha. Amazing laughter, but rather shame. We should have laughter. Number two is. Sodom. And Sodom, we know, is an evil city. And Hashem is going to destroy that city of Sodom. And, and this also ties into this with Parsha, people complaining about the destruction of Gaza, right? There's right Hashem. Sodom was destroyed in this week's Parsha. Hashem destroys Sodom. And Abraham Avinu, in his mercy, is pleading to Hashem, please save Sodom. I mean, I don't know if I would be on that level to, to plead. Uh, as Abraham Avinu pleads, please save Saddam. Uh, Saddam is evil and he's praying for Saddam to change. They should do Teshuvah, and the only way to do Teshuvah is if there's 10 righteous people in Saddam who are influencing the people. And unfortunately, or fortunately, Hashem just destroys Saddam. He destroys Saddam, he sends the angels to Saddam. But first, he removes, they remove Lot and his wife and his two daughters from Saddam thereby preparing for an eventual coming of the Mashiach. As we know, the Mashiach is going to be descended from two daughters of Lot, through Lot, Ammon and Moab, Moab, Ruth, Ruth comes from Moab, who is the great-grandmother of King David, and Ammon is the father, eventually, of Naamah. Naamah marries King Solomon. So we have these two nations which are safe from Saddam and they give birth to the Mashiach, the Messianic line comes from them. Okay, number five. Abraham moves to Gerar, which is a Philistine city. And here again we have a captive in this week's parasha. A captive. Who's taken captive? Well, Sarah's taken captive. The king of the Philistines, Abimelech, we have Philistines, Palestinians. I mean, history just keeps on repeating itself. This week's parasha, again, links very, very similarly as last week's to this, the events going on around us. King Abimelech of the Perishtib takes Sarah captive to his palace in a dream. God warns Abimelech he will die unless he returns the woman to her husband. And the captive is returned. Baruch Hashem, the captive is returned. Sarah is returned to her husband. And uh, her husband is uh, praised for the king of the Perishtib. Hashem says, pray for him because he's now unable to have children. 
So Abraham prays for the king of the Pelishtim to have children. And because of that, it says, you pray for someone else, you get answered first. Abraham has a child. What's interesting about this is the birth of Yitzhak, we have to understand, I'm going to talk about it more, is a reversal. It's a total reversal that goes against nature. It goes against nature. There's Hashkecha Prati, we believe it in divine providence. And then there's a providence which is above that. And that's the providence of reversals, which people would never even think about. Things that happen that without even planning and unable to plan, and they just happen. Amazing, amazing reversals that happen. And that's the life of Yitzhak. I mean, Yitzhak, I mean, is life of reversals. We're going to talk about this Russian power, big reversal. We'll see, uh, we'll see this uh, parasha come true. This, uh, Saddam is destroyed. That the, the captive is released. The captive will be released. They'll go back to the husbands and wives and the parents, uh, 20 children who are little babies. Hard to, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And eventually, number six is this woman, this old lady, 90 years old, is rejuvenated. It gives, Hashem gives her and Abraham a son who they name Yitzhak, which means laughter. Okay, but Israel Hashem had all had laughter this coming week based on the birth of Yitzhak. And then we have a very important, again, linked to this week's parasha, Hagar and Yishmael. Sarah tells Abraham, throw this boy out. He's nothing but trouble. Throw him out of the house. Abraham says, I don't want to throw him out of the house. Let's ask Hashem what he wants to do. And Hashem says, listen to Sarah. Whatever she says, listen to her voice. She has that voice of prophecy, send Ishmael away. Now that's, again, it's pretty similar to what's going on today. Israel Hashem, Ishmael will go away. Israel Hashem, somehow they'll send Ishmael away and banish him, just like the parasha. And then we have a peace treaty between Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Again, who knows what's going to happen? Israel will have a peace treaty, something solid and something reliable between the king of the Philistines and Abraham Avinu. And then number eight is the Akedah. Number eight is a sacrifice of Yitzhak, which we're going to talk about again. Uh, my wife is crying right now. Why? Because her nephew just got sent to Gaza. Tonight he's going to be sent to Gaza. Young boy. Nephew, she has like 18 relatives in the army. And she doesn't know where they all are, but tonight uh, her sister sent her that they're going to send him to Gaza. So he's a young boy, young married boy. And this is, people don't realize, most of the reserves are married. Most of the reserves have kids. And this is the, this is like Yitzhak. This is the story of Yitzhak. Our kids in Israel are like Yitzhak. Hashem says, take them and set for a sacrifice. May they all come back safely. We don't want any more sacrifice. We already had like 19 sacrifices so far in the war, plus the other 300 or so already in, in uh, Simchat Torah. Terrible situation. Okay, so let's go through the parasha. Let's go through some hit, salient point. I can't go through the whole thing. I gave you a breakdown, but and there's a lot of similarities to what's events today. And Yitzhak, the word Yitzhak, Yud Sadi Chet Chuf, Yud is number 10. Yud is a gematria of 10, which represents the 10 trials of Abraham, I mean, the 10 trials of Abraham. Tzadi is 90. Tzadi, the letter Tzadi is 90, which is the, Sarah was the age of 90 when Yitzhak was born. Chet. Chet. Yitzhak was, was circumcised at the age of eight days old. Chet is eight. Yitzhak circumcised at the age of eight days old. And Kuf is 100. 
because Abraham was a hundred years old when Yitzhak was born. So in embedded in the word Yitzhak are all these signs in, of what's going to happen in his life. What happened is like 10 trials of Abraham, 90 years old Sarah, eight days Brit Milah, and hundred years old Abraham. And there's a great joy for Sarah in the parasha. We all have a great joy this week. The cattle will be released. Our, our soldiers will come back safely and the, the menace will be removed. This is the parasha of the great laughter. Sarah laughs, Abraham laughs, and I'm sure Hashem is laughing as well. So God remembers Sarah, birth of Yitzhak, and we're going to talk about also the expulsion of Yishmael. And Sarah celebrates God's miracle, a baby born at 90 years old, final vindication after years of childlessness and humiliation from Hagar. However, her joy is not complete. She tells Abraham, send out this maidservant and send out her son. And despite Abraham's hesitation and worry, Hashem sides with Sarah, Hagar Gishmela thrown out. Okay, we are now going to discuss the, I mean, amazing similarities uh, in this week's parasha. And uh, that is, it has been a catastrophic year from Simchat Torah on. I remember my Simchat Torah, and we were up to the shul. It was a beautiful day, beautiful blue sunshine. What a gorgeous day for Simchat Torah. We just finished Sukkot. We stayed up all night, Hoshana Rabbah night, and we're sitting in the shul, and all of a sudden, sirens. We hear the rocket sirens. We hear the missile sirens. We're going down into the dungeon, into the depths of the shul, into the, into the safe room, and the siren. We hear the boom, boom, boom. Uh, rockets are being shot down by the Iron Dome. We go back up, siren. A few minutes later, we go down again. Boom, boom, boom. Thank God they shoot it down. And then, again, this repeats itself six times. This is our Simchat Torah. This was the joy of Simchat Torah. And we found that we were, we were the lucky ones. We were the lucky ones because around Gaza, it was terrible. It was terrifying. It was, it was a murder. It was murder. It was blood and guts there. Terrible murder, so it's been a horrible year of death, maimings, blood, guts, the worst kind. A pogrom unseen since the Holocaust. We have to remember that right now. It was a pogrom unseen since the Holocaust. My friend Sefer Bereshit is the blueprint. If we want to know what will happen to us in the course of history, we have to read this book. Sefer Bereshit is the blueprint because the rabbis tell us, we said the Ramban last week, what happened to our forefathers is going to happen is a sign of what's going to happen to their children, to us. So the problem is it's encoded and we need the rabbis to unencode it. We need to, to reveal what it really means. We talked about some of these events that are happening right now. Hashem, destruction of Saddam, uh, the saving of Lot and his daughters, saving of captives, Hashem, uh, Sarah was taken captive again, captive. Sarah was freed. We find the expulsion of Ishmael and his mother. We find sacrifice in this parasha. All these things are embedded in the parasha, and all these things are, are now with us in our history, now part of our history. These are embedded in our history as well. So, what happens over here? What happens over here? So, Sarah is bent on throwing out this boy, Ishmael. What was Ishmael's failure? What was his fault? The Torah just says he laughed. He was laughing. And the Midrash says, number one, he was shooting arrows at Yitzhak. He was aiming arrows. This is amazing. Is this a portent of what 
happened today and, and happened uh, this, this year and uh, many years before this all the time. They're shooting arrows at us. Today, it's not just arrows, it's missiles. They're shooting missiles at us from all over. Gaza missiles, nonstop. Um, and we had we had missiles now from Lebanon. We have missiles coming from the Houthis of all people, the Yemenites. They have nothing better to do. They're a thousand miles away and they hate us so much. They're sending us ballistic missiles. Hard to imagine. So this is Portens, this is Parasha, the Midrash says. She says, send him away. He's a threat. He's a menace to the life of my son Yitzhak. He is shooting arrows at Yitzhak. Okay, Portens is a joke. But shooting arrows anyone is not a joke. Listen, the world does not understand what it means to live under this bombardment, constant bombardment. The world does not understand just because we are Iron Dome. Iron Dome is only 95 or so percent successful. And we, today there was havoc in Kiryat Shmone. There was uh, missiles from Lebanon. There was havoc in the middle of Israel. The uh, house got hit. So this is happening on a daily basis. It's, it's impossible to live like this. And we've lived like this for so long with Hamas in Gaza, and it's just impossible. People don't realize it's impossible. No other country in the world would put up with this, this bombardment, and then they stop, and then they do it again, they stop, and then, well, they just crossed all the boundaries. So she says, throw them out. Throw them out. Throw them out. There's no other way. Throw them out. We can't live together. We can't live together. He's a threat. He's a menace. Hashem says, throw them out. So Abraham, with all his mercy and all his kindness, takes food, gives water, and he says, Hagar, take Ishmael and leave. Go. You have to go. Sends him into the desert. Now, we can understand Sarah's motivation. This is, she just had a baby boy. The baby boy is growing up, and her older, the older brother is a tremendous threat. Now, he's a, tre- he's a threat in many ways. Number one is he was a spiritual threat because he was giving bad examples to Yitzhak. Number two is he's a physical threat. He's shooting arrows. Number three is he's also a threat in terms of the inheritance. Who is the main son? Who's going to get the inheritance? And that's why she was very upset. So what? So Hashem simply wants, what does Hashem do? He grants Sarah her wish. Now, what does he do that for? It's a vindication of Sarah. Sarah was right. Sarah could read the leaves. Now, it's interesting because Sarah caused all the problems. Sarah was the one who gave Abraham a maid. She gave Abraham the maid, and she is suffering from this maid. This maid now, instead of being the maid, is now like the boss of the household. So she gets really upset. She throws her out before. And now the son is getting on her nose. We're going to throw him out again. Okay. Now, Hagar Ishmael. So we have over here a crisis. The crisis of Hagar Ishmael. And it's amazing because this crisis of Hagar Ishmael is going to be repeated later on. It's the same crisis of Abraham and Yitzhak. Abraham had to throw out two sons, basically, in this week's parasha. He had to sacrifice two sons in this week's parasha. This is very, again, topical, as we said. He had to throw out Ishmael, like Abraham felt it. as my son, my son. I'm going to throw out my son. And Hashem says, throw him out. And then Hashem says, take your other son. Take your son, the only son, the other one you love, and take him to the Mount Moriah and raise him up as a sacrifice. Raise him up as an olah. Raise him up as a burnt offering. And it's interesting because there's similarities in both these stories. And look at these similarities. It's amazing. In both these stories, Abraham rises early in the morning. Abraham rises early in the morning. 
And number two is the divine command involves final parting from Hassan. In both cases, Hashem says, throw at Yishmael. Hashem says, take Ab Yitzhak up as an offering. Number three, in both cases, the boys are called Na'ar. And Na'ar means a young boy, even though they weren't so young. Okay, Ishmael was a teenager, and Yitzhak was 37. According to the Midrash, Yitzhak was 37 years old. But they called a Na'ar. Take the boys up. Number four, the journeys are described in variations of the same word. Vayelech, Vayelech. They went, they went. Okay. Number six, dangers threatened as a result of a parent. In both cases, Ishmael's life was at danger. Why? Because Hagar aimlessly wandered in the desert. She was lost in the desert. Food and the water ends, and he's in danger because of her aimlessness. Abraham pushed him out, so again, it's a result of a parent's. The danger came because of a parent. And in Yitzhak's case, it was also dangerous from the parent, which was Abraham. Abraham's knife. Oh, boy. So it's interesting because there's similarities in the Ishmael story and Yitzhak's story. And number six, in both cases, the boys are saved by the call of an angel of God. It's interesting. Who saved Yishmael? An angel of God appears to Hagar. And he shows her there's a well over here. And in Yitzhak's case, an angel cried out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, don't put your hand on the lad. Leave your lad alone. Leave the boy alone. Amazing, amazing. Both similarities. And number seven, in both cases, the angel reiterates they're both going to be great people. They're both going to be great people. We have great nations. Number eight, in both cases, they see something. Hagar sees a well. And Abraham sees a ram. And this is something which they didn't notice before. They were there, but they didn't notice that before. So both stories end on a good note, because both stories end with marriage. Interesting. Ishmael, the story ends, he gets married. He marries the daughter of, as well, uh, the daughter of Ishmael. Yeah, he marries uh, certain women, and uh, his mother set him up. Hagar set him up and he gets married and next week's parasha starts with the marriage of Yitzhak to Rivka. So both stories end on a good note. Both, so there's a tremendous amount of symbolism, the links between Yitzhak and Ishmael that go through the ages, that they both have similar events happening to them. But then we're going to talk about the similarities. So a lot of things happen to both of them and the comparison, uh, let's go through it very quickly. God orders Abraham to part with a son in both cases. The boy and a parent go away on a journey in both cases. The boy faces life-threatening danger in both cases. The boy is saved by divine interference and intervention in both cases. Uh, the boys are promised future nationhood in both cases. And eventually they end in marriage. So what we have is we have a rhythm of events. We have a journey. We have a danger we have a rescue. There's Rabbi Shem, we'll see this today. Our boys are going on a journey in the army, they're going to Gaza and a rescue. There's Rabbi Shem, there'll be a rescue, a tremendous rescue of all the hostages, a tremendous rescue of our boys in the army, there's Rabbi Shem. And this journey can be viewed as a maturation journey. It's a journey of maturation with the boys, Nar, they're called the Nar, blossom into men. They mean, they mean, how does, has a boy become a man? <laughs> well, one way is to go through the army. That army experience, the battle experience, I, 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 maybe never know this. It's a maturation of a person from a young boy into a man.
And that's what we see in both cases. Ishmael becomes a man through these dangers of the way and nearly dying. And Yitzhak also, faced with this uh, test, this, life, this test of the Akedah, he matures very rapidly and he wants, now he wants to get married. Now he's married. Now they're able to get married. So sacrifice is part of the story, and we're seeing this, unfortunately. All the men called up, uh, not just the young boys who are single, but also the married men with children, two, three children at home, and they're going to the army, and who knows what's going to happen. Bezrat Hashem, tremendous sacrifice. And Bezrat Hashem, the angel will say, no, don't raise your hand on that boy. Don't raise your hand, that child. Also, the journeys are crises. And Abraham and Isaac are resolute. The story, that's the difference between uh, Ishmael and Hagar. They're both crying. Hagar is crying. Ishmael is crying. And the story of Abraham and Yitzhak is no crying. They're both resolute. They know they have a mission. We're on a mission. The Torah says specifically, it says, They both went together. They both went with togetherness of purpose even though Yitzhak knew exactly what's going to happen. And there's no way a 37-year-old can be led to slaughter without him fighting back. Yitzhak was part of the story. Yitzhak agreed to be part of the story. And they went together. There's no breakdown in the reserve. There's no breakdown in the resolve, just like the boys going to the army right now. There's no breakdown. They go to resolve. They know there's a mission. They know they have a purpose. They know the mission is a very clear Israel is fighting for survival. This cannot go on like this. We cannot be subjected to these pogroms every couple of years. We can't be subjected to these rockets every couple of years. However, in the journey of Hagar and Ishmael, there's no purpose and there's no courage. Similarly, Ishmael cries and then she cries. They both break. And, uh, however, Ishmael is saved. Why? How is he saved? And the answer is there's a sequence. We have to know the sequence. And this is also a sequence. Jewish history oppression leads to crying, crying out to God, prayer. And Hashem hears the prayers and there's a redemption. That's the normal uh, Jewish sequence of events. And it was also the sequence of events in Ishmael's life. Oppression leads to cries, it's the hearing, Hashem hearing, and redemption. Israel Hashem will be redeemed. Hashem will hear our cries. However, the story of Yitzhak is even more than that. That's regular Hashgacha. What we just said about Ishmael is regular Hashgacha, which means regular divine intervention. Cries, oppression leads to cries. Christ leads to Hashem hearing and redemption. That's regular God's presence listening. However, in Yitzhak, it's much higher than that. It's a reversal. It's total reversal. Everything about Yitzhak is a total reversal. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing uh, a kind of a divine, uh, divine hashkacha. Uh, it's a divine uh, looking after Yitzhak in a, a way which is even above it. It's a divine reversal, and it's God's looking after Yitzhak, which is amazing. Uh, and it's based on last week's parasha where God took Abraham outside. It says, and Rashi says, he took him out of his mazal. He took Abraham out of his regular course of his luck, of the stars. And God says, from now on, Abraham, you're not going to be under the stars. You're going to be under me. I'm going to see what happens in your life. All you have to do is tell me what you want. Pray to me 
and I'm going to give you whatever you want. So that is exactly what we're talking about over here. It's a different hashgacha, a much higher level of uh, divine protection. Let's go through it. Number one is a barren woman, 90 years old, gives birth, and it's absurd. It's so it's such a reversal that Abraham and Sarah laugh. They both laugh, tremendous laughter. Ben Radisha will see this. We'll see a reversal this week, Ben Radisha, tremendous reversal, and we'll both will all be laughing this week, Ben Radisha. And there's a tremendous reversal. This child is born. And number two is Ishmael is the firstborn. Now, in those days, a firstborn was a firstborn. You could not usurp the rights of a firstborn. It's an ironclad law of Hammurabi's code. The firstborn is the firstborn. He cannot be expelled. He cannot be exiled. The firstborn cannot be replaced as an heir. And here we have a reversal. The firstborn is chucked out. And Yitzhak becomes the firstborn. That's a tremendous, amazing reversal. Number three, Yitzhak was meant to be raised, to be killed at the Akedah. It was meant to be a sacrifice and the angel, another reversal. Hashem says, don't kill him. Don't touch him. Don't even make a nicking. Leave him alone, Abraham. You're not allowed to touch him. And this mirrors the Hashgachah of the Jewish people. One of the most unexpected, unexpected. I'll tell you, listen, I'll tell you, after the Second World War, who would have believed we'd have a state? Who would believe it? Who would believe we'd have an army and a navy and everything? Who would have believed it in 1945 when I told you just three more years? I mean, I would never believe it. I wasn't alive at that time. But Jewish history is amazing, full of these reversals. Bezrat Hashem will see a tremendous reversal now from the down, from the depths. As King David says in Psalms, I cried out to you from the depths. And this is what we're doing right now. We are crying out to Hashem from the depths. And Hashem should hear our voice and a tremendous reversal of of events, Israel Hashem. And Israel will flourish, and Israel will go back to being the light unto the nations, Israel Hashem. So it's been a terrible year so far from Simchat Torah on. So let's go into it more deeply in this uh, Ishmael story, because really there's a lot embedded in the Torah, as we said. Ishmael, Ishmael ben Abraham, the Torah tells us this week, these are the generations of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. Come on, the Torah is telling us the descendants of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. Why? Because Ishmael is going to be a mighty nation. Hashem promises Abraham that Ishmael will also be a mighty nation, Abraham. Because Abraham keeps praying for Ishmael. And Ishmael is going to be a mighty nation. The prayers of Abraham are going to be answered. However, there's something strange in the Pasuk. Let's read the Pasuk. These are the children of Ishmael, who was born to Agar, the Egyptian woman, who was the maid of Sarah. To Abraham, and he lived between Havilah and Shur, which is towards Egypt, which is the desert towards Egypt. Now, this is wild. And he facing all his brothers, Nafal. What Nafal? What does Nafal mean? Nafal normally means fell. However, Rashi says, Nafal over here means he dwelt with his brothers. So Ishmael dwelt with his brothers, but it's a very peculiar language. Ishmael Nafal means regularly, it means to fall. Rashi says it doesn't mean to fall, it means he dwelt with his brothers. The next verse says, These are the children of Yitzhak, the son of Abraham. Hey, one second. The previous verse says Ishmael fell, and then it says these are the children of Yitzhak. What's going on? So the Bala Turing. The famous biblical medieval commentator, the Balaturim, Rabbi Yaakov, 
the son of the Rosh, um, who, was a, who was eventually a chief rabbi of Toledo. He lived in Toledo in Spain in the Middle Ages, in the Golden Age of Spain. He has a commentary on the Torah called the Baal Turim. Yeah, the, the, the author of the Torah, which is a compendium of halacha. He wrote a commentary on the Torah called the Baal Turim. And he says, he's, I'm confounded. I'm confounded by two things. Number one is the language for dwelling, according to Rashi, is nafal. Nafal means the fall. And straight away the Torah says, what's the juxtaposition? Ishmael falling and Yitzhak having children. And the Balatur says, this is a prophecy for the end of days. The prophecy is, Balatur says, Ishmael, when Ishmael falls in the end of days, as Yitzhak ben Yishai, then the Mashiach will start flourishing. Then the children of Yishai which is the father of King David, will start flourishing, who is from the children of Yitzhak. So Balatur sees a juxtaposition between the last words of this week's parasha and the first words of next week's parasha, that Yishmael will fall and Yitzhak will have children. We will see this, this prophecy will come true nowadays. And this is the first scene in an epic battle between Yitzhak and his descendants and Yishmael and his descendants. A battle that began with the characters themselves that stretched throughout history. We have another source, Pirkei de Rabbi Yezer. This is Rabbi Yezer, Ben Hukun is the great Rabbi Yezer, one of the rabbis of Rabbi Akiva. And there's a whole series, uh, I think eight chapters, Pirkei, it's called the Chapters of Rabbi Yezer. Very interesting reading. He says that Yishmael was, as we mentioned, Vayi Rove Kashat. Yishmael was a person who sent arrows. He was the uh, shooter of arrows. Yishmael shot arrows. Today we know this is, he says an arrow has the ability to cause damage far away. Today we know missiles and rockets coming from Yishmael. They're coming from all over Yishmael. They're coming from Gaza. They're coming from Syria. They're coming from Lebanon. They're coming from the Houthis and Yemen. Yishmael shot arrows to kill Yitzhak. Therefore, Sarah said, throw him out. This was the beginning of the battle, Balatur says. Ishmael was the nemesis of Yitzhak, and our nemesis. What do the rabbis tell us about this nemesis? Now, very important. Listen to this. Amazing. Listen, last week, Parashah, the angel says to Hagar, when Hagar is crying the first time she was thrown out, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a child, and you're going to call his name Ishmael. Why? Hashem heard your affliction. Hashem heard your cries, Ishmael. He's going to be a wild man. His hand will be on everyone, and his hand and uh, their hands will be on him. Rabbi Samson von Hush explains. He says, Pere Adam. What's Pere Adam? Nobody will be his friend, and no one will be able to control this wild man. No one will be able to control it. Unbound, unconstrained, wild. Not a peri Adam, but an Adam peri. A human being who is just wild, out of control. But there's another component of Yishmael. The second component is that no other nation in the world shares with Israel the name of God. No other nation in the world has the word of God in the name of God, Kel. Israel and Yishmael. Only two nations in the world have God's name in their name. Only two nations in the world 
That is really amazing to tell us what's going to happen. This is the clash between Yitzhak and Ishmael, both nations who call themselves nations of God. They're called nations of God. Israel, the name given to Jacob by the angel, and Ishmael, the name given to Ishmael by the angel. God chose to invest his name in the name of Ishmael. There's Israel and there's Ishmael. There's no other nation on the face of the earth that has God's name in their name. What effect does this have on Ishmael? The effect is he always says the name of God. Even when he's murdering people, even when he's maiming people, even when he's torturing people. Allahu Akbar, I have the name of God. He has the name of God. He feels he can do anything he wants. Why? Because he has the sanction of God. An unbound, unbridled, uncontrollable human being goes around in the name of God. This is what emboldens him. But there is one fatal flaw. Rather than trying to assert what God really wants and then follow God's dictates, Ishmael comes to the reverse conclusion. Ishmael says, what do I want? That must be what God wants. What do I want? I want to control the world. I want to kill all these infidels. I want to, whatever, I don't want to say these words, these horrible words that the instructions given to these guys, these animals on October 7th. God wants, it's not what God wants, it's I want and it's God, God's sanction. And I'm going to do it in the name of God. When you take these two components and you mix this with their philosophy, that God is on my side and whatever I do, even kill and murder and maim and whatever, all the other tortures, God wants. It's all in the name of God. Whatever I think is right, then you have a very frightening mix. And that's exactly what we're living through. We're living through this very frightening mix. World anarchy, terrorism, thousands killed. We had Al-Qaeda, and we had ISIS, and now we have Hamas. That is what happens when you mix the wild man, or the man who is a wild thing, with Ishmael, with a God. You put God in the mix with wildness, and then you have this terrible mix that, person can do whatever they want in the name of God and they put God's name on murder and other things. Now we can understand amazing prophecy of no other than Bilam. Bilam, the rabbis tell us, was the prophet, the greatest prophet the non-Jews ever had, the greatest prophet of the Gentiles. Bilam, he was on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu in some ways, uh, hard to understand, but he was on some ways. And look at his prophecy. This is Bilam in Book of Bamidbar. You can look it up. In Bamidbar, Numbers 2423, crazy, 2423. Oi, he says, oi, oi, woe to us, woe to us. Why? Who could live? How can we live with this person? How can we live with someone who has God's name in his name? Who is he referring to? A person who goes around with the name of God, the Prophet says, He's an Ishmael. How can we live with Ishmael, the one who lives in the name of God? Chavetz Chaim said this before the Second World War. He died before the Second World War. 1933 died. And he says that he was an old man, 90s, and he told his student, this is brought down, and you can look it up, it's, it's brought down. Which, what, or he says, woe to Ishmael, what they're going to do to Klal Israel, What are they going to do to us in the end of days? He saw these terrible things they did. 
I mean, if you can't imagine all the car bombings we had in the time of Rabin and uh, Oslo and Arafat and Makhshama, uh, they had Arafat and Makhshama as a girl. All the bombings, uh, we can't imagine all the pieces of, uh, they talk about it, and now what's going on in Gaza, they have uh, bombs and uh, the, the tunnels and everything is all based on killing. It's all based on killing others, how to kill others. Not about saving life. They don't worry about saving life. They worry about kids. That's all they do about. So Hagen says in 1933, when Yishmael was just a bunch of nomads looking after their sheep in the deserts, Hagen says, woe to Klal Israel. This is Bilam's prophecy. At the end of days, all will suffer under Yishmael. One more important component of Yishmael. He was born... And that's very important. He was born out of the power of prayer. Oh, gosh. Yishmael was born out of the power of prayer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This makes it even worse. This makes it even more hard, difficult, more difficult for us. And the angel of God said to Hagar, you're going to have a child. And you're going to, and you're going to, because Hashem heard your voice. He heard your prayers. He listened to your suffering. Oh, yeah. He was born, Ishmael was born from prayer. Ishmael was born out of prayer. What makes up the spiritual genetics of Ishmael is the power to pray and to cry to God. Isn't it so true? Ishmael prays five times a day to God. Muslims pray five times a day to God. They go down. This is something they got from us. Because in Jewish law, you're not allowed to go flat on the ground, which is stone. In the temple, they would go flat. But anywhere else, we're not allowed to go flat on the ground on stone. We have to put a mat on the floor. That's what we do in Israel because the floors are just made of uh, granite and marble in the synagogues. And we take a mat. We take a pillow. I take a pillowcase with me to go flat on the floor. Yom Kippur, we go to flat five times. And the Muslims got five prayers based, I think, based on this, where they go flat on the ground and they also use a mat. Right, they got this from us. This idea of washing one's hands and feet. They got the Kohanim before they did the service in the Beit Hamikdash had to wash their hands and feet. So a lot of this they took from us. This Muhammad took it from his Jewish colleagues. And wherever they take out their carpet and pray, they pray. A lot of what they pray about is just to destroy us. A lot of what they pray about is to destroy, to kill, to murder. Wherever they are, they pray. That is Ishmael. He's born from the power of prayer. He has the power of prayer in him. He knows what he can do, and he does it five times a day, no matter when, and no matter what. Doesn't matter in the airports. I was once in the airport, in the British airport in Heathrow, and you know it says over there the chapel, the communal chapel, all the religions. And I went there like an idiot, wanted to pray shacharit, and there, and then uh, all our friends come to gather around me, and before I know it, I have two women lying down on the floor in front of my feet. They're praying, lying down on the floor. <laughs> they put me in the women's section. I guess the men didn't want to pray with the Jew in the room. They put me in the women's section. They put it, actually, they put a, a, a mechitza in the middle and they put the women over there. The women bowing down at my feet. Okay. So, anyway, so that's the power of prayer of Ishmael, the tremendous power of prayer. He is serious about his prayers. He knows what he can do. He prays five times a day, no matter when, no matter what, doesn't matter where, he doesn't matter, doesn't care who's looking at him. So, I was once in Brooklyn, you know, these places, Brooklyn, there are no go areas for Jews. And you see the Muslims going down on the streets. They closed down the street. They're all praying. They're lying down on the floor. I had, a, had an Arab worker here once, and he was praying in my apartment on the floor. It's a power of prayer. He 
Ishmaelites have this power of prayer. Yitzhak knows this. What does Yitzhak have to do? Yitzhak knows that the Ishmael has the power of prayer. And he sees Hagar is answered. The angel comes to Hagar in this place. In a place called, she calls the name of the place, Be'er Lechairo'i, the well of the living seer, the well of the living God. And where does Yitzhak go to pray? It says in the story of Rivka, when Rivka comes back, it says Yitzhak came back from praying at Be'er Lechairo'i. He went to counteract. We have to pray doubly hard. We have to pray tremendously hard because they're praying to kill us. We have to pray for to God to save us. We have to pray. That's the power of prayer. We have to we have to really use our power of prayer. Akol kol yakol. We're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. The voice of the voice of Jacob. This is our voice. This is our prayers. Our prayers have to be heard. Hashem have to hear our prayers. We've been tremendously tortured. We've been through hell. Our hostages are still in, uh, in Gaza. Two hundred and forty something. Two forty two. I think it is now. Gaza, we got 20 kids over there, unbelievable, 20 little kids they took hostage. We have like 50, 40, 50 soldiers who then pro, I don't know what they're doing with them. And we have to pray really hard, but rather Hashem, Hashem will save us. Just like Yitzhak went to Be'er Lechai Roi to counter the prayers of Hagar and Ishmael. We have to counter their prayers and do better. We're not just counter the prayers like Iron Dome, we have to do better. We have to go into Gaza, unfortunately, mop up the mess. Clean it out so that we can live in peace and security. So we pray to the right God. We pray to the undulterated God. We pray to a God who has no partnership with anyone else. And that's what we have to do. We have to pray even more. Okay. Why is he called Yishmael? Why? Because Yishmael is in the future tense. Yishmael. Yishmael does not mean God heard her prayers. It means that God will hear the prayers. So he says in the future tense, he says, says, God will hear the prayers of the Jewish people when Ishmael will afflict us. And that's right now. Hashem will hear our prayers because we are afflicted by Ishmael. Ishmael means God will hear the prayers of the Jewish people in the future when Ishmael will afflict us. So God will hear our prayers. God will hear our prayers right now. B'nai Israel, we will be successful. So let's just recap three qualities of Ishmael. Number one is wild. Wild, totally wild. Number two is, yes, God's name and his name, which it says that he can do anything he wants in God's name. That's what he thinks. Number three is he has a tremendous power to pray. Number four, he shoots arrows. He tries to damage people from far away. This is a hint to the missiles, he said. And then we have, unfortunately, at the end of the parasha, it ends off on a good note, the Akidah. We have this idea of sacrifice. The Jews, unfortunately, from a very early age, eight days old, have to learn sacrifice. And little babies, eight days old, a little bit of sacrifice, a little bit, a little bit of blood, a little bit of crying. It's, uh, it's hard to live through. And, you know, we start our lives with sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. Judaism is, you cannot be a good Jew without sacrificing something. Bezrat Hashem only be money, Bezrat Hashem only be time, Bezrat Hashem only be uh, our lives for good, doing good things. Bezrat Hashem spending our lives doing good things, learning Torah, doing it small, Bezrat Hashem not dying on the battlefield. But that's also part of Judaism, that's what we see in our history. How could God want a human sacrifice? How can even God even mention this? How can he? The answer is the words are very accurate. Rashi says the words are not, God does not want sacrifice. God says, raise him up as a 
offering. Raise him up to a high level. That's what it really means. Don't burn him as we see. It doesn't mean to burn him. It doesn't mean to kill him. It doesn't say the word shechita, slaughter him, even though Abraham took a knife. Rashi says Abraham misunderstood. And, but you know what? On Abraham's level, it was a tremendous test. God is testing Abraham. Do you really love me or do you love your son more? Do you love me? And that's, this is a massive test throughout Jewish history. You know, we should never know this test of sacrificing yourself. What does that mean? Sending your son to the army, 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, 23. Today, unfortunately, it's not just the army. It's anywhere you live, even in Israel. Who knows when that missile is going to land? We live here. We are ready to sacrifice. We have to, we have to be ready anytime to live, ready to sacrifice. And today, a Jew was killed uh, driving home from the army. He was getting his leave. He was in the military, getting his leave, and he was shot. So there's no guarantees. We live in sacrifice. We live anywhere we live. It's a sacrifice. We don't know what's going to happen next. And Hashem says, don't touch that boy. That's Bezrat Hashem. This will be fulfilled in this, this war. Hashem says, don't touch that boy. You guys, Hamas, will not touch my son. You guys, how much won't be able to touch my children, Bezrat Hashem. We will see this great test as we're going through right now. And the mothers are crying, and the fathers are crying, and the, and the grandparents are crying. And Bezrat Hashem, we will, we will pray that God, our prayers will be heard. Hashem should show us mercy. And Bezrat Hashem, three days later, Commander Moshe, here's Abraham Avinu walking with Yitzhak for three days. It's not like it was a test like this. Boom. It was over. Hashem says, take your son. Take him to Mount Moriah right now. And, and you know, it took three days to get there. Imagine three days of wondering and thinking what's going to happen. Three days. And that's exactly what's happening now. It's like uh, a child goes to the war and it's taking time. It's, 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 a long, it's a long battle. It's a long struggle. So they both went. They both went with fortitude and Bezrachim will, will do it with fortitude as well. We'll survive just like Yitzhak survived. Our children will survive. And just like the hostages in the parasha, Sarah comes back and has a child. Our hostages will come back and be fruitful and multiply. The only good things, we have to look forward to good things. There's a reversal this week's parasha, and there'll be reversal. There's laughter in this week's parasha, and there'll be laughter for all of us in the coming week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.